All right, sorry, to continue. <clears throat> so, to look at the next aspect of corruption and, and evil and, and other characteristics, one thing you'll really, really see is a combination of two things, incrementalism and moving the goalposts. And I'll give you an example from theism, we'll give you an example from history, and I'm sure you'll be able to fill in the rest. But the example from theism is God exists. And when you then ask for the proof of God's existence, you are told that, uh, you know, God exists uh, in... Depending on, on how you're asking the questions, you know, God lives in our hearts, or, you know, for, for younger kids, God is an old man with a beard on a cloud, or whatever, whatever, right? But God, God is, is in the sky, God is in the heavens, and so on. And then you ask for more details, and you get these more, the, the goalposts move, right? Uh, so when God is presented to little kids, it's, it's Jesus, it's a real person, uh, and then when the kids get older, they're told, well, he's not a real person, he exists, uh, he exists in, in the sky, and when you say, okay, well, where? It's okay, well, he exists in um, in our hearts is like well where uh, okay well no but he exists uh, in a in another universe or he exists ontologically or he exists uh, outside of time or whatever right so the goalposts simply keep moving and you'll really see that you've got to keep your eye on that and I lose that myself right so again we're all in the same trenches right you really got to keep your eye out for when the goalposts move and the goalposts move in a number of different ways one is that when you disprove a so someone says uh, God exists uh, in the sky, and you say, okay, well, where's the scientific evidence that God exists in the sky? He says, well, the sky is a metaphor. He exists in our heads. It's like, okay, but if God exists in our heads, he's a thought, not a God. No, 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 he is a God, but he exists in our head, and why? Because of the ontological proof uh, that if we can conceive of a God, it must be there, and they say, well, everything has a cause, and, and God caused the universe, but God is causeless, therefore, right? So you just keep getting in this whirly gig of crazy-ass fog, the goalposts keep moving. You can never, it's like trying to nail jello to a wall. You can never get to the place where when you disprove that argument, the person says, you're right, there is no God. Or uh, my definition of God is synonymous with non-existence. So I'm saying existence equals non-existence. That is a logical problem. I'm going to no longer uh, support my belief in God, but I'm going to hold it back until I can come. There's never any place where the person says, this is my argument for the existence of God. And if you disprove this argument, God does not exist. Right? You can right, you look for this, look for the standards, right? What is the null hypothesis? Are there standards of proof and disproof? And of course you see the same thing in statism all the time. We need the state because there are bad people. Well, bad people congregate at the state. Okay, well, we need the state because uh, of the helping the poor. Well, the state doesn't help the poor, and uh, given a democracy, the majority of people want to help the poor anyway. Well, we need the state because of old people. Same argument. Well, we need the state because of health care. Same argument. Well, we need the state, right, <clears throat> because violence is bad. Well, the state is predicated on the initiation of violence, which you describe as bad, therefore the state is bad, Right. And, and again and again, there's never a place, it seems, where you actually can knock the argument down and the person says, I withdraw my proposition that statism is good or God exists or whatever, right? This can also be, uh, you know, my, my bad family is good, right? 
and it's it's always a moving goalpost. It always and, and these this occur either because and the way that it generally happens is you will disprove an argument, and the person will simply substitute a new argument without admitting that the previous argument has been falsified. Right. So if someone says, "This is why I gave up arguing with agnostics because they're just this kind of foggy, it's just this kind of foggy nonsense," and determinists as well. So uh, somebody will say, well, God exists outside of the universe, and say, well, outside of the universe, A is synonymous with non-existence, B, there's no proof that there's anything outside the universe, whatever that even means. And uh, C, even if such a thing were true, you could not describe it as God, but simply as the opposite of that which exists. Right? You couldn't say it has any characteristics like sentience or omniscience or all, you know, whatever, right? It's gobbledygook, right? The only thing you can say about anything outside the universe is absolutely nothing, because nothing to say. You can't, can't possibly conceive of or describe it in any way. Therefore, you can't say God exists outside the universe. But you see, they just change. And you can listen to my debate with Bill Rush about this if you like. They just keep changing the definitions, right? Or they'll concede a point because you forced it in the moment. And then when you move two points later, they'll resurrect that point, right? So it's just it's a game of whack-a-mole. It's completely pointless. They're not interested in the truth. They're in, interested in defending a prejudice. Or, more fundamentally, uh, and this is the tortured relationship that theists uh, and statists and so on have with the truth. It's completely a tortured relationship. They simply, like if theists would live on faith, I'd have a lot more respect for them. Like if they said, oh yeah, it's a completely crazy-ass belief. Absolutely. God is completely defined as that which does not exist, but I, 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 he exists. There's no reason, there's no cause, there's no argument, there's no... It's faith, right? Because faith is just belief in what I want to believe in. Right? They, can't, they can't sustain that. They can't do it. Because that's too obviously crazy. Right? 2 plus 2 equals God is obviously a crazy equation. So they have to define God as 4, even though God is defined as the opposite of 4. In re- God is the opposite of 4 in reality, and that 4 is tangible and empirical and, and so on, right? <clears throat> Testable. So if theists were to say, um, I believe in a God, though God clearly does not exist. They, they can't sustain that, because that's too obviously crazy, so they've got to they gotta fog it all up, right? Or people to say, we need a government because I like the idea of a government. We need a government because my daddy works for the government. We need a government because I'm afraid to talk about there not being a government with my friends. We need a government because I like the initiation of use of force. We need a government because my mom did drugs and I hate drug users and the government punishes them. We need a government because, 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 right? The government is immoral, and, and it should be there. It should exist, right? Well, that can't happen, right? Because people can't consciously support the immoral, so they have to keep redefining it, right? So theists say it's about faith, which is belief without any proof or in the absence of proof and the direct opposition of proof, but they can't stay there, right? They, they keep spilling over into feeling this absolute need to prove the existence of God. And that's where I have no respect. I mean, if it's just crazy bigotry because it's crazy bigotry, you know, at least you're consistent with crazy bigotry, right? Absolutely, God does not exist, but I believe in God. You know, go for it. If you if you can hold that in your head and stay sane, best of luck to you. But they just can't leave it alone, right? And that is a kind of corruption that, uh, in my mind, leads 
to evil, right? And the evil is... Uh, this is a future podcast, I'll just touch on it briefly here, but the evil, of course, is telling metaphysical and epistemological lies to children. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Now, this is in a realm of theism, and to some degree, statism. But uh, let's, uh, let's continue. The historical example, of course, is... Uh, uh, a good example is uh, Hitler and appeasement in the 1930s, right? Uh, Hitler says, uh, I just need this, right? Just, you know, give me the Sudetenland and then everything is fine. Give me the Rhineland and then everything is fine. I just want the rest, western half of Czechoslovakia and everything is fine. I'm just going to take the eastern half of Czechoslovakia and everything is fine. Right. Incrementalism is a fundamental characteristic of evil, right? They didn't just, he didn't get elected in the early 1930s and then immediately start gassing Jews and homosexuals and gypsies and so on. Right, it's incremental. It's always, always, always incremental. Which is why virtue cannot be incremental, right? Virtue cannot be incremental because evil is incremental. So, that is another aspect. The goalposts keep moving and it's incremental. Whatever is being done in the name of evil. Um, no parent that I know of who's like not just com- a complete schizophrenic, no parent that I know of or have heard of or read about comes home and just beats up his kid. You know, walks in the door, kid comes down, daddy, daddy, punch. Right? That doesn't happen. The incrementalism that occurs is they need to blame the other person for the evil they want to inflict. Right. We'll get to projection in just a sec. That's another characteristic of evil. But they will uh, look around, right? Look around for things to get mad about. And they will start asking questions. Did you do your homework? Did you take out the garbage? Did you clean your room? Did you do this? Did you do that? And they'll stalk around the house looking for things to complain about or to get mad about, right? Because they need uh, to believe that justice and discipline and integrity and virtue and uh, honor and common sense and plain dealings and goodness and all that kind of nonsense is on their side when they decide to start assaulting their child, right? So they have to find uh, some excuse, right, for... And I I, said, I totally remember this from when I was a kid. Uh, it was just tragic, right? I mean, it was... Um, uh, oh, it was just terrible. It was um, just continual. I remember my mom would be in a bad mood, and she'd start stalking around, looking for things that were a problem, or asking me questions. And you know they're just questions designed to mess you up, right? So that is another uh, aspect, is this, um, this incrementalism. Now, as far as I mean, the last characteristic that we'll talk about, and it's, it's a little detailed, so I hope you'll uh, uh, forgive me for going into see even more gruesome detail and repetition and misspeaking than normal. But really the most fundamental characteristic and that which allows evil to survive and flourish in the way that it does is that evil is fundamentally predicated on the psychological mechanism of projection. Now, the psychological mechanism of projection is all kinds of complicated, and we've, we've talked about these defenses in, in prior podcasts way back, I think, in the six or seven hundreds. So I won't go into any of that. You can look, do a search. Remember, freedomainradio.com forward slash free. Sorry, so forward slash search. See? Misspeaking, if you wanted to have a look at, at those things. But projection 
is um, fundamentally around turning the initiation of force into or the initiation of an action into a response to an action, right? So it's about turning the initiation of an action into a response to an action. So if a guy comes home and he's angry and annoyed and he wants to hit his children to feel better, uh, he can't excuse that to himself. He can't, he can't get away with that in and of himself, right? So uh, what he needs to do, because that, that would be so clearly the initiation of aggression that it would be morally unsustainable to him, right? Because uh, evil thrives upon the illusion of virtue. And even when evil is cynical about the virtues that it proclaims, what happens is uh, they say, well, you know, we need to evade Iraq for a variety of you know, geopolitical strategic reasons, but we can't explain that to the common people, so we'll just tell them that they're going to get nuked. And, right, they'll believe that, and they'll praise us, and, you know, we're doing the right thing, right, uh, no, no matter what, right, uh, in the same way that when I was a kid, my dentist told me that sugar fairies danced on my teeth and cracked them. I had to brush them away with my... Whatever, right? I mean, it's it's a lie. It's the noble lie, right? For the right reasons. Uh, and uh, uh, Plato's noble lie. So anyway, uh, so they'll always do that. So a guy who wants to just come home and beat up his kids, he's not going to be able to believe that. Or his wife, or whatever. He's not going to be able to... If he just comes home and clocks them, he's too. He's obviously evil to himself. He can't... can't there's no excuse, right? He can't, can't sustain that. So, what he needs to do is to then perceive his aggression not as an initiation but as a response. And in order to do that, he needs the practice or faculty or habit of projection. And so... He'll come home, and he'll be surly and short-tempered and bad, and his children and his wife will become shy and quiet and a little fearful, and then he will get upset because no one's talking to him. I work hard all day, I come home, I expect a little contact, a little conversation, a little interaction, I'm not just a wallet, you know, blah, 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 right? So he will create the situation and then respond as if the situation was inflicted upon him, right? That's, this is what I mean when I say take the initiation of aggression and turn it into a response, right? So clearly, to take Iraq again, the Iraq was the initiation of aggression, uh, the invasion of Iraq, but it was portrayed, and we don't know to what degree believed, but it certainly was portrayed as a response to aggression, right? To the massive military might of uh, Saddam Hussein, against the poor, uh, beleaguered, uh, disarmed United States, right? And that's, that's important to understand. Because in order to victimize, you have to first feel like a victim. You have to first put yourself in the role of victim. Once a guy comes home surly, will make his children and his wife frightened, they will not want to interact with him, and then he will complain that people don't want to interact with him and they're taking him for granted. So, right, he victimizes by frightening people, and then he can play the role of the victim, which allows him to be aggressive as a response to an injustice that he himself has created, right? I know, sorry. <laughs> play it back slowly, blah, 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 right? I mean, even I, through these sentences, are like, yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah, okay, that's good. Yeah, uh, hey, pulled it off. <laughs> it happened. I threw the jigsaw puzzle in the air, into the windstorm, and it came down fully assembled. It's magic. M -m 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 magic So, 
we also can um, uh, look at uh, again to, to to go back to our mustachioed Satan head Hitler we can understand that Hitler uh, perceived that Germany was encircled and had been historically aggressed against and that he was, uh, that Germany was, was a victim and therefore needed to attack other countries that were about to attack it and needed, needed his living room and so on, right? So that, I think, is, is important. J- Hitler had to feel like a victim in order to victimize others. And he had to feel that the Jews were running some international conspiracy against the planet uh, so that he could feel like a victim and aggress against the Jews, right? Whereas, of course, it was the initiation of aggression against the Jews that was actually occurring on the part of Nazism. So, <clears throat> this is why, of course, these imaginary enemies need to be invented, right? So that what is actually the initiation of force can be portrayed as a response to the injustice on the part of another. And the same thing will occur, of course, when the... Um, a man comes home, uh, he's in a bad mood, and he wants to pick on his kids. Uh, he might look at something that would not normally trouble him, like a bunch of toys on the floor, and suddenly he's he escalates, right, within his own mind. Suddenly he seizes upon something that is irritating in the moment. He turns it into a principle, which is now justly is now just for him to to act against, right? So he sees a bunch of toys on the floor, and suddenly it's not like, well, there are some toys on the floor, which is really the only fact of the of the situation. Suddenly becomes this whole epic Bohemian Rhapsody EP na- narrative about how there are always toys on the floor. Uh, you kids never clean up for yourself. You take me for granted. Your mother is tired. Uh, I've been working all day. You treat this place like a hotel. Uh, you know this kind, this escalation, right? So suddenly. The children are the aggressors. Why? Because there are some toys on the floor, and you make up this whole mythology about how the children are selfish and taking you for uh, taking advantage of you, and never never lift a finger to help. Or and you and you tell yourself all of these escalating lies in order to aggress against your children and to perceive that you are responding to a genuine injustice, right? And uh, and that's of course part of the no-win situation. Right? It's part of the no-win. No, because there's always something that, that people will find, right? And I remember I went out with a woman in my 20s and early 30s, and we lived together, and she was constantly upset uh, and, and, and angry about me being messy, right? And I'm not particularly messy. I'm certainly not anal, but I'm not particularly messy. I'll definitely, and you know, ask Christina if you see her here up here at the barbecue. I'm not particularly messy, but um, I'm certainly not as neat as some, and I'm certainly far neater than, than many. Uh, and I would definitely sort of, I like to sort of think of myself as like, a, I, I'll go and do stuff, but I have a broom tied behind me, right? So I'll make some crumbs, but I'll wipe them up and I'll try and clear up after myself. And I try not to let those things uh, accumulate. But for the, for this a woman, uh, the, 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 my messiness was a constant problem because she was so devoted to having a neat and tidy blah, 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 right? And then after, a couple of months after we broke up, I had to go to, she was still, was still, and I think is still living in the place where we live together. I had to go and pick up some stuff of mine that she had. And I went in, and the general living area was not too, too bad. Uh, she had a roommate. But, oh my God, oh my God, the door to her bedroom, I guess formerly our bedroom, but her bedroom was open. And sweet mother of all that's holy, it was an unbelievable pigsty. Like clothes all over the floor and coffee cups by the bed and just junk, right? Just a complete and total mess, right? And uh, 
<laughs> my jaw just dropped, right? And <laughs> I really was just... I, was like, ah, <laughs> I started my Lamaze curled into a ball in my usual way. And I, was, I turned to her and I was about to say, I can't believe it. I can't believe that you nagged me for 18 months or whatever it was about me being messy. And the door to your room is open and it's a complete pigsty. I was going to open my mouth and say that. But I didn't. And the reason I didn't, of course, was that I knew that she would say, I was neat, but now that you've left me uh, and you've messed up my life, I'm so depressed that I can't... Whatever, right? It's your fault, right? It was your fault when the place was messy. It was your responsibility to keep it tidy. Tidiness is a huge value for me. But when I don't live up to my own values... Like, when you don't live up to my values, it's your fault. And when I don't live up to my values, it's your fault, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but what it did was, you know, of course, I took that to, to therapy, and uh, I basically uh, had a good old chat with my uh, therapist about that, and uh, it was very helpful, right? And uh, as she sort of helped me to understand that, that this woman was, uh, in a very real way, was um, trying to control my me- quote messy tendencies because of her own messy tendencies, and you know, it got all kinds of complicated. And, of course, when things get that complicated, the great thing to do is hit the eject button, catapult. Get out. So. Oh, let me just see what the GPS is telling me. Keep left. I can do that. It's like uh, Noam Chomsky's at the wheel, don't you think? So <coughs> that, I think, is, is uh, something that's important to recognize, too, that when you're in a situation where you're being reframed as an aggressor or an initiator, then you know that you're in the presence of corruption and, and, and possibly evil. And the line between corruption and evil we'll talk about another time. It's, it's complicated, right? Corruption is a necessary but not always sufficient prerequisite for evil, right? Like sex is a necessary but not prerequisite. Uh, not not, not uh, necessary but not sufficient prerequisite for a baby, right? But um, that aspect uh, of things is, is important to keep your eye out, right? So uh, when you get into a debate with someone and the goalposts keep changing, you can't ever get anything resolved, and then the person complains that you are being aggressive and evasive, well, then you know you're in the presence of this, right? Of somebody who is using philosophy to justify a bigotry uh, and to and and they're trying to they're, they're trying to plant this in you right uh, because people who act with the knowledge of virtue in order to subvert and bypass virtue right to use the cloak of virtue for their own immoral actions the fundamental thing to understand about evil people is and I don't know I, I've never really been very uncomfortable in my own skin Uh, even in the past. And so it's hard for me to really grasp this, but I think it's really important to try and get into this mindset. I've been struggling to do this for the last couple of months, and I'm I'm not getting very far, but I'll tell you at least the parameters of what I'm trying to do. And and that is to... when, When I've confronted evil people in my life, you do see this crack in the defenses if you push hard enough, or gently enough, usually is the case, maybe, where you you... You know, the, the crack opens and you see the slaughterhouse of their internals, right? You see 
the dead bodies strewn around the basement of their self. And you see the rotting sepulchre that is their honest experience of themselves. And so I think it's really important to try and get that and sort of understand it. And really sort of work on that understanding of, of just how horrible it is to be an evil person, right? To, to be a nasty, corrupt, vicious, horrible little person. It's really ugly. It's really stressful. It's really horrible. Maintaining any kind of fiction is an extraordinary exhaustion on the soul. And that is something really to keep your eyes uh, peeled about, right? Uh, when you're around, he's trying to get this, trying to get the whiff of that kind of stink. is really, really important to to understand and to get get a handle on. Because if you can't understand just how utterly unpleasant, ugly, vile, stinky, nasty, and unc- like like, it's like a hair shirt on the soul, right? It's just you're constantly itchy in your bone marrow and you're constantly discontented and, and frustrated and angry and upset and self-righteous and everything is manipulation and attack and X, Y, and Z, right? If you can, I mean, if you can't get that and it's really hard it's really hard for me to get, get the hang of that. I, I mean, it's not like I've been a perfect person or anything like that but I've never done the kind of wrong which is unrecoverable uh, if that makes uh, any sense. Sorry, enforcer, say. And so, because evil people live in this fog of self-justification and fundamental irrationality or anti-rationality, it's really stressful. It's really stressful because reality keeps opposing what you believe, right? And and I don't just mean metaphysical reality, but moral reality as well, right? So to talk about, I don't know, I'm just making things up, right? I mean, I've read a few things that people say about me that's kind of negative, not much, but I mean, not that there's not a lot out there, but I just, who's got time, right? But if, uh, uh, you know, let's say, right, so um, uh, if I don't admit that I'm wrong, then I'm, like if someone thinks that I'm wrong, but I don't admit it, or whatever, right, then I'm, you know, I can't admit that I'm wrong. I never, I can't admit that I'm wrong. If I do admit that I'm wrong, then it's just a strategy to maintain my credibility because I've been cornered, right? Or, uh, you know, I, there was a, a woman who was on last Sunday show, yeah, last Sunday show, and uh, I, uh, said that uh, my goal was to help her connect with her family. Right now, in other situations, that hasn't been my goal. Uh, people will say, oh, well, that's just because, you know, the media, whatever, he got caught, and, and so now he's changed his tune, and blah, 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 right? As opposed to the more simple explanation, which is that she was not in physical danger of uh, violence, right? I mean, so it's, uh, it's a little different, right? Now, there was no history of physical violence in the household, other than one incident which her father apologized for, much to his credit, so it's a different kind of uh, situation, right? So uh, that that I think is 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 important, right? So uh, if I don't like, if I want, if I take media interviews, it's because I'm a media whore. And if I then stop taking media interviews, it's because I've been caught by the media and I don't want to 
um, uh, I don't want to uh, 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 be caught by the media anymore, so I'm running away from... Right, so if I run towards the media, uh, you know, I'm a, a media whore, and if I stop in, uh, interacting with the media, then it's because the media has gotten the better of me, and I'm running away like a coward. You understand, right? No matter what happens, the, the, the illusions and the fiction has to be, has to be maintained. So this, this constant invention of, uh, for want of a better word, explanations, is, is a real strain. It's a real strain on people. And not, it's, you know, if, you, if you don't have that in your life, it's really hard to imagine what a debilitating and exhausting situation that is a constant fight-or-flight mechanism that is constantly being activated. Uh, it is really, really stressful and exhausting and makes people very uncomfortable because they're always on the lookout for new things that they need to, quote, explain, right? I mean, this thing that occurs, right? Uh, worship God and God will shower you with blessings, right? And then your dog gets hit by a car, you get cancer, right? And it's like, oh, well, uh, God works in a mysterious ways and it's a test. Or, you know, it's a test of faith or we don't know what God has planned for us or you did something wrong, right? So, uh, 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 God is a virtuous, uh, Christian, uh, America is a virtuous nation because God, because it's Christian and loves God and so on. And then America, some natural disaster, which is supposedly under God's control, hits America, right? Katrina or something. And then, well, there was a lesbian in New Orleans, and that's why, right? It's constant. You constantly have to, you are making predictions. Those predictions fail to come true because they're irrational. And therefore, you have to make up new explanations. And then you have to hide from yourself the fact that these new, quote, explanations are utterly at odds with your previous predictions and explanations. And that is a real strain, keeping all of that stuff floating around in your head, keeping it away from each other, and the constant stress of having new information come in that you're going to need to explain is really, really stressful. It is exhausting, right? I mean, you're in a constant state of morbid excitement is, is what they used to, and that's not necrophilia in the way that you might think, but morbid excitement is, is a great way of, uh, of understanding that. You're in a state of morbid stimulation. And uh, that is, I mean, you see Hitler giving his speeches. I mean, to take another extreme case, you see Hitler giving his speeches and... Uh, I mean, he's like wild, right? It's, it's a constant state. He really believes that he's going to be attacked, right? And of course, for him, I mean, and I think this is a pretty accurate theory, right? Infant swaddling with the attendant, complete entrapment of the baby and lice, uh, right? Would would is one of the things that gave him such a fundamental visceral fear of being encircled and and uh, claust claustrophobia and that Jews were lice and so on, right? Because as a baby, he would have been swaddled so tightly he couldn't move and lice would crawl throughout his face and hair and all in, in his swaddles and so on. So that's all pretty uh, pretty grim stuff. But um, but that state of morbid excitement is really uh, is really important. And uh, that you see this uh, occurring all the time, right? So uh, people who are pro-government, right, they constantly have problems, right? Because they're, they think, oh, the government will solve the problem of poverty. They get all excited and enthusiastic about it. And then, of course, the government utterly fails to solve the problem of poverty. And uh, they have to avoid that and come up with some new explanation as to why the government didn't. Well, it didn't have enough resources. 
capitalists are too greedy, people are too selfish, uh, we need reforms, and so on, right? So this is it's important to understand that this is what continually happens with people who have irrational beliefs. Or if like they have these irrational paranoias and then they feel that if there is an improvement in the situation, that it is their rational paranoias that have uh, changed things, right? This fantasy that, uh, I guess it's a kind of quantum physics fantasy that the obse- observation uh, changes the outcome, right? So, uh, you know, let's say that uh, some, I don't know, you're a racist, right? And some black family moves into the neighborhood and you set up closed-circuit cameras on your house watching their property because you think they're going to do all these bad things. And then they don't do any bad things because they're just another family. And you say, aha, it's because of my, right? Uh, It's because of my uh, uh, cameras pointed at their house. That's why they know I'm watching them and that's why they haven't done it. It's, It's fantasy, of cause and effect that you constantly must resist the examination of, right? And that's, that's really tough. Uh, that's really tough to, to work with. And this fevered Dostoevskian world of the constant invention of contradictory theories in order to sustain an irrational thesis is really, really hideous, right? So, for instance, people will say, and again, not to pick on the theists, right, but it's just the easy examples, right? People will say, well, I believe in God because there are rational reasons to believe in God. However, that, of course, is not... Um, that is not the reality of how their belief in God came about, right? Uh, this, is, this is important. So people say, I believe in God because there's rational reasons or evidence or whatever, right? And at least atheists and science uh, scientists and rationalists have gotten theists to the point where they're hiding God out in a place where Timex watches cannot reach and sensual, rational reality cannot penetrate. At least we've got them to hide God in uh, the nuttiness of the opposite of reality, right? And not, you know, in the old, in the old days it was... Um, you know, on a on a mountaintop, and, and Moses goes up, and right. At least we've got, we've pushed God out to this uh, crazy, opposite world, right? And you understand, right? Psychologically, when people say God exists outside the universe, what they mean is that outside the universe is the opposite of rationality, consistent uh, uh, consistency, and so on. And the idea, of course, does exist in their mind. It, uh, it's in the unconscious, right? And so what they're basically saying is, my unconscious is the opposite of rationality, and that's where God goes, right? I myself am the opposite of... It's a projection of the unconscious onto that which is outside reality, right? I think you, you can understand that, right? That which is the opposite of, uh, uh, of reality. So that, I think, is, uh, is really important to understand what a stressful and horrible existence it is to have to sustain a thesis. And, and if you have, you know, let's, let's pick on parents, right, or bad parents. So if you've got a bad parent and you have this thesis that she loves you, right, uh, but, but he or she, you know, they keep doing, they keep doing crappy things, right, to you. 
well, it's just his way of expressing. He's not good at expressing his love. It's just his way. He's doing the best that he can. But like, you have this thesis called love, and then you have this evidence of crappy behavior over and over again, nasty or abusive or whatever, or even just boring, cold, and alienated uh, behavior. So you have this thesis called love, but you have this reality, which is uh, not love, right? And that is... Um, really, really stressful to maintain. So, oh, but she loves me, loves me, right? And then it's like, well, what about this behavior? What about this behavior? What about this behavior, right? Empiricism is constantly opposing, the reality is constantly opposing your thesis, right? And, and gods and politicians and states and parents and all of this sort of stuff. It's really, really stressful to constantly feel beaten down by reality. And it creates a situation of permanent resentment rage, helplessness fundamentally deep down, terror, right, deep down that you're wasting your life in the massive ingestion of an eternal error, and uh, aggression, right, because what, you can't get mad at reality, right, so you can, uh, you, I mean, you, that's that's too obviously crazy, right, shaking your, yeah, you, so you say God lives in this tree, and you talk to the tree, and the tree doesn't re- reply to you, and therefore, like, it's not, don't start forming words, and therefore you get really angry at the tree and you cut it down, or that would be too obviously crazy. So reality keeps knocking you down, but you can't get mad at reality, because it's too obviously nutty. So what you have to do is you have to find people who can be the reality stand-in for you, and this is what philosophers uh, are for people, all too many people, right? We are just the scapegoats, right? Reality keeps destroying my thesis, right, that God exists and so on. But I can't get mad at reality because that's too obviously crazy. So I'm going to get mad at those who respect reality or who are aligned with reality, who are attempting to have their thoughts mirror reality because they provoke even more anxiety. Because reality is not insistent. Reality doesn't argue that there's no God. There's just no God, right? Reality doesn't argue with you about statism, right? It just constantly causes statism to fail because violence achieves the opposite of what you want. But people will tell you this. Now, reality doesn't tell you that there's no God. There just is no God. But people will tell you that there is no God. Reality won't argue with you. People will. And so if you get mad at people, it, they, they then become a stand-in for the reality that is constantly undermining and corrupting your, uh, your, your, your false beliefs. Right, so it's a lot easier to, to get mad at a, an individual than it is to get mad at reality that stubbornly refuses to produce virtue and evil people, or uh, you know God uh, from an empty sky, or uh, effective solutions to complex issues through the application of statist violence. Right, reality stubbornly refuses to give you uh, support or and, and gives you constant counter evidence for your fantastical and insane beliefs, but you can't get mad at reality. So you'll just get mad at those who identify that. And that's the constant state of stress and struggle. And that's why these people end up as these terrible social metaphysicians, right? So I hope that makes some sense. I hope that you will uh, try and remind yourself and me from time to time about how the, you know, these characteristics and how, how really to, to help avoid people like this in your life. Because there's no... And you can't, you can't save them, right? It, they are the opposite of salvation. Because you can't save those who are attempting to damn others. Thank you so much for listening, as always. I will talk to you soon.